Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. We'll have a good time today in the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth. You can be seated this morning. I want to speak here on this subject, truth worshipers, truth worshipers. And I have that uh, so named for a reason, uh, which I hope to explain um, today. Many of you, as I begin here, many of you will probably be familiar with this um, brief history that I'll provide in terms of, and I do mean brief, in terms of praise and worship in the church. Um, many of you were around and born and, and even worshipped uh, in this era, the 60s, um, that I'm going to speak about here today. But for all intents and purposes, we, we know that praise and worship, we can, we can teach on it and preach on it, that those two terms are uh, different. They have and possess different significance in the word of God. But for our modern vernacular today, I'm going to combine the two and say that they are the same, praise and worship. Um, we know that the baby boomer generation um, gave us some things, <laughs> uh, gave us hippies, gave us Woodstock, mushrooms, uh, LSD, um, but it also gave us praise and worship, um, the way we do it today. And, and really this movement, this style of music, this praise and worship style of music arose in the 70s, um, I'm sorry, in the 60s, arose in the 60s to bring the baby boomer generation back to church because there was such a, uh, uh, an exodus, if you will, of young people in that, of that time from the church that they began to dabble into to worldly things and uh, worldly pleasures and stuff. And, and one of the things that they that they dabbled in, of course, was, um, you know, you've got the Beatles and you've got other uh, popular 60s era Motown, right? We can go down that road. Um, 60s era uh, worship or, well, it was worship, worldly worship, but they, they, were, they were interested in these things and expressing themselves in a particular way uh, that they didn't find in the church. And so as a response, the church of that day uh, started this whole thing called Jesus music, and it became an entire movement. Uh, but prior to this Jesus music movement, church worship was intentionally communal and not performance-based. And what I mean by that is, a pastor talks about this all the time. He, he knows the right angle to send a car off of the, the, the page or the front cover of a hymnal, right? And that's what church was. Many churches, the congregation would sing as a congregation. Um, there wasn't really too much in the way of, of, of uh, instruments, you know, guitar or otherwise. Um, and in fact, when we played 
uh, in early church worship, when we play guitars and things like that, people automatically associated the church with the, 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 the Jesus movement, um, the Jesus uh, music movement. But church worship was intentionally communal, um, where everybody would sing together from a from a a selection in the songbook. You know, turn the turn the page. I'm trying to do my best Southern gospel accent. It ain't working this morning. You know, turn to page 205 in your hymnals, and we're gonna all sing together, right? Um, and and uh, you know, we we went to uh, church in Tallahassee, and um, I appreciated this what um, Pastor Huber did. Uh, uh, Pastor Huba's uncle, um, and that he would he would uh, ask that we would sing an an old timey song from the hymnal book, you know, every service at least at least one, and I you know I honored that I appreciated that because it was a way to keep those those um, not only the the old way of how things were done but also to there were a lot of good songs written man in those hymnals, and and sometimes in our uh, in our current way, our current vein of worship and praise and worship, sometimes the songs can be void of, really void of meaning. Um, they, they sound great, and you know, I'm, I'm, let me just go ahead and say I'm not uh, professing that we need to go back and sing all hymnals. That's not what that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there is value in recognizing that where we came from was more communal, and now it's more individual. You're lucky to know the song that we sing on a Sunday morning uh, because we all have different styles and you know that we like to listen to now um, different playlists that we enjoy uh, and so you might be lucky here in, in an hour or so when we get up to 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 sing and to lead and praise and worship you might be lucky to even know the song but back then there was a there was more of a you know we kept the books in the back of the seats and we would hey let's turn to page 115 we're gonna we're gonna sing this song and we would all sing it together but uh, this movement arose, this Jesus music movement arose as a response again to this mass exodus of young people leaving the church to get high uh, and to engage in unmentionable uh, practices. That, that, I think that's one perspective, but the other perspective, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that um, it could be that the young people were looking for a way to express themselves in the church but didn't find it. And there is a balance here, right? When we when we talk about the youth and and recognizing that we old fogies, I mean, I'm only 35, but you know, we're not going to be around forever. And so, if the Lord shall continue or should continue to tarry, then the young people are going to be hopefully be us one day and continue the work that Christ has started. But if we don't give them space, right, within reason. If we don't give them guided space to lead or give them skin in the game or, or, or you know, give them something to own, um, then I fear that we could end up and wind up where we were in the 60s, where just, and really when you look at the statistics nowadays, most churches, the average age is about 35 and older. There are, there are of course, there are pockets of young people uh, you know, across the organization, across the church, um, global church, but the average age is 35 to, to 35 and up. And so, uh, you know, already we're seeing that um, we have a lot of work to do in the way of, of making a space and creating a space for young people to serve in the kingdom of God. But uh, I'm going on a tangent, but this is, this is how we got what we got in the 60s. So the, the young people left, 
the Jesus music was born and it was conceived from this idea of what's called contemporary Christian music, CCM. And the first, um, really the first song, um, according to my research, the first song that really uh, paved the way was actually put out by the Roman Catholic Church and it was called We Are One in Spirit. Uh, I listened to this song recently and um, it, it sounds cool, you know, it sounds nice, but what I have in my mind is just uh, a bunch of people sitting around a fire. When I listen to it, a bunch of people sitting around a fire, you know, playing that banjo, trying to, uh, 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 you know, elicit this kumbaya type feel, um, because you got to understand in the 60s, that's what, that's what the young people were doing. And so the church said, well, let's create this, let's create this environment but with God in mind. And so, you know, again, and I mentioned Kumbaya. Kumbaya was actually another one of those songs as a response to the, the young people leaving the church uh, that this, this um, contemporary Christian music adopted. Uh, but then there was another song, Wish We'd All Been Ready by Larry Norman in 1970. This one is actually dubbed as being the most influential in the Jesus, Jesus music movement. So let me ask this question. Anybody born in, uh, let's see, between 50 and 75? Raise your hand. 1575. Do you remember any of these songs? Any of these songs sound for me to you? Okay, let me ask you this. Were you in church then? You were. Okay. Okay. None of these songs sound familiar. Okay. Well, let me keep going. Um, after the 70s, the CCM movement and its work and, and, and you know, songs like Wish We'd All Been Ready with Larry Norman, um, they began to, to mold or meld with more gospel-centric um, artists like Andre Crouch. Everybody, anybody know Andre Crouch? Okay, now everybody, everybody, yeah, 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 I know him, yeah, yeah. I know Andre Crouch, and he came up with this song and wrote the song, To God Be the Glory. And here they begin to blend traditional gospel music with the sounds of CCM. Now, again, understand that up to this point, like I said, there were no there were no mass. There were no instruments. There were there were really no no bands per se in small, small areas and certain areas of the country. Sure, some churches adopted this early on, um, but it didn't really become a movement until the 60s and 70s. And then Amy Grant's in the 70s Age to Age album. Um, and then 1970 to 1980s and early 90s, more blending of gospel music. Uh, we start to, again, see worship, praise and worship become more and more performance based than communal-based. Um, uh, by honor, uh, honorable mention, we have people like Kirk Franklin and the family, uh, and Fred Hammond, who I was researching this, he actually didn't know what praise and worship was. He had already written songs uh, to the glory of God, but he actually didn't know what praise and worship was, uh, so he tells it. And it was his song that he wrote, um, King of Glory, where he was, uh, he was in church, and uh, some pastor came up to him and said, hey, God told you to do praise and worship music. Go do it. And he, he you know, he looks around. He said, I don't even know what that is. Um, but he knew or he had an idea that what it involved was movement per his recollection. He said that he wrote the song King of Glory. Who is the king of glory? Lord God, strong in battle. I don't even know the words. I remember the words. Some of y'all might know it. But. He wrote that song and he says when he was singing it and writing it and playing it, he couldn't help but move. And I, and I like that analogy but to, to put in front of us because, you know, worship should require us, should encourage us to move a little bit. 
you know, when you when you get really excited, any 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 uh, uh, I know this question, the answer to this question, I'm gonna ask it anyway. Any sports fans in the house? Come on, raise your hands high, lift them up. Don't be shy. Come on, you like sports? Lift them up. Right? Football, basketball, all that. Man, I tell you what, when that ball goes in that basket, I'm not, look, I am a sports agnostic. I used to like sports. I just never really had the time to really delve into it. Uh, my focus went elsewhere. But I, I, I'd say I'm a sports agnostic. But I know that when things happen in the sports world, you move. Your favorite player just scored that touchdown. Good job. Hooray. No, you're like, yes! Right? Right? Popcorn's flying everywhere. The, 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 the pigs in the blanket are all over the table, right? But then we come in church and we say, man, God is good. Woo. Praise God. No, man, it should, it, it should require us if we're really excited about worshiping the Lord and glorifying his name. It should bring us to movement. It should require us to move. And so, you know, I appreciated that about, about Fred Hammond's honesty and saying that, man, he had no clue really what praise and worship was, but he knew, he knew that, it, that it, it requires you, at the very least, requires you to move, to get excited, to dance around, to dance like David danced. That's what true praise and worship does. So that's the, that's the church history aspect of praise and worship. From a biblical perspective, you know, in the Old Testament, worship occurred at an altar of sacrifice. And it occurred with animals. Just hold on to that. I'll explain that in a minute. It occurred at the tabernacle in the wilderness. It occurred at the temple uh, and beyond. Once that, that tabernacle plan um, became no longer... Um, feasible, if you will, and they had built the temple, they still provided an altar, still uh, worshiped at the altar of sacrifice. In the New Testament, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. He adopted the same Old Testament principles of worship, but he updated its presentation. No longer do we have to bring bulls and bullocks and, and, and lambs and those things. He was the perfect sacrifice. We don't have to bring that stuff anymore, but we still can bring a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise. When we think praise and worship, we automatically think music. And, and, and I know that's what we think. And, and we allude to this many times up here um, when we're, say, going into the offering portion of our service. We say things like, you know, the, there's another way you can worship God, and that's in your giving. And that's true. But there are biblical examples of music being this expression of emotion um, as it flows from the heart in a rich way. Look at Psalm chapter 33, verse 3. It says, sing unto the Lord, or sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Amen. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, Look at this, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Something struck me about this, about teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. Man, how powerful is it when, when, when we're able to, to capture, uh, you know, the balance between anointing and creativity in a song and then speak 
to you about it or teach each other about it or uh, better yet another way to think of this is hey man I've got something to tell you I've got something to testify about I've got something to praise God about and I'm going to do it in a way of a song I'm going to do it in a way of worship I'm going to do it in a way of of singing joyfully unto the Lord but worship can also be done in preaching again as it highlights the the communal nature of what worship is as the preached word goes forth the congregation responds as the preached word goes forth the congregation responds sometimes we do preach to the walls I'm, I'm I, I, you know I I'm not in uh, I'm not naive to think that <laughs> sometimes we're in church and you know kind of got those blank stares you know and those those weepy eyes right but the way it's supposed to be is that when the preach word goes forth, the congregation responds. Don't amen me just because, you know, uh, uh, you know, or somebody else just because they're, they might be eloquent in speech. No, no, no. Amen. And, and you get behind the word because you feel something. You go, man, that's a, that's a good word. That's a powerful word for my life. Let me take that and put it in my pocket. Let me take that and put it in my heart. Let me take that, and put it in my mind that, that as I go through life, I have a word that I can draw. Hmm. Maybe that's what God meant when he said he's going to put his word on their inward parts, on their hearts and on their minds. Right. So that as we go through life, we'll have a way to respond. Hmm. Not always to other people. Sometimes that response is to yourself. Self. Get right. Self. I know you're in the mully grubs right now. But but come on out of this 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 funk that you're in. Right. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, it's okay to talk to yourself. Just don't say, I didn't hear what you said, because then, then we might think something's wrong. Sometimes it's okay to talk to yourself. Worship, we worship in prayer, this spontaneous, heartfelt prayer, also in corporate prayer. Uh, we worship in our giving, as I talked about earlier. David told Ornan, the owner of the land where the temple would later be built, that the permanent home of the Ark of the Covenant had to cost him something. He had to pay something for this land. And, and we need to have the same mindset when it, when it comes to our worship in giving, right? The, the, the fact that, and, and, and let me make it on a more practical level, the fact that we have a building here is, is happening Yes, because of God, but also because of your giving. Yes. We would have to rely on, we'd probably have to get some more windows in here if we couldn't afford to keep the lights on. We wouldn't be able to have light, uh, nighttime service, right? If we couldn't afford to keep the lights on. So praise God. Thank you for your giving. Just know you're worshiping when you give. And you should feel you should feel a Holy Ghost pride in that to say, man, I'm giving this and this is going toward the kingdom of God in a in a in a small and in a big way and in a small way and in a big way. You bring your mites. Some bring their millions. <laughs> you bring your mites. And God does what he does with it. He enlarges it. But true worship, true worship requires us to be completely honest. Requires us to be completely honest. And the price you pay for true worship is your pride. The price you pay for true worship is your pride. Look at John chapter 4, verse 19 through 24. This is a very familiar verse of scripture, but in studying it out, I sort of put a worship lens uh, on this verse of scripture 
And really, that's what this, if you really break this, this uh, chapter down, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, that's really what the core issue is. Um, and she sort of alludes to this in one of the verses when she says, you know, you, uh, you, you as a Jew, she's talking to Jesus, you as a Jew, you say that worship is in Jerusalem, right? That's the core issue. Where are we to worship the Messiah? Go ahead, put it back up, Steve. Chapter 4, verse 19 through 24 of John. The woman, the Samaritan, saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, oh, here we go, verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say as a Jew that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, husbands, don't, you may not want to say that to your wife, woman, believe me. You, you might be sleeping on the couch. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here at this well, dug by Jacob, Jesus and the Samaritan woman review the past, the present, and the future. And in this short little excerpt, it can go fast if we miss it. If we just, we just read over it with, the, with our current traditional knowledge about this verse of scripture, we can just read over it and, 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 uh, and not really uh, understand the, the meat that is present in here. You see, not only did they cover her past, her present and her future, but they also covered the past, present, and future of two people groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. Understand that many years before this exchange, um, there was a rift that occurred between the Jews and the Samaritans to the point where they avoided each other. They hated each other. And I believe <clears throat> that one of the core issues that they had was found in verse 20. It was about where to worship God. Can you put that one back up, Steve? <clears throat> Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, she said. And you say as a Jew <clears throat> that we should worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her in not so uncertain terms, both of y'all are wrong. <laughs> The hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? The Samaritans believe it's in this mountain. The Jews think it's in Jerusalem. I'm telling you it's everywhere. You worship the father in spirit and in truth. Everywhere you go, you worship the father in spirit and in truth. He is not relegated to some uh, bench in the back of a tabernacle, but his presence is everywhere. And so as we traverse this life and we walk through this life and we, we, we have our dealings and we, 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 we have our, our valleys and we have our mountains, anywhere we find ourselves in life, we can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, over time, misunderstanding and division led to the development of different worship practices among these two groups. But Jesus wanted to deal with the issue in the moment. And he said, true worshipers, the hour 
is coming and now is the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. But notice this, Jesus said in verse seven, give me. And if you're familiar with the story, he's talking, he, he says, give me water, but I believe he's asking for something else. Jesus says, give me. And the woman says also in verse 15 of chapter four, if you have your Bibles and are following along, she also says, give me. And we think that they're talking about water, but what's occurring here is, is what I like to call a truth exchange because of what happens next. There's an exchange occurring here where God requires something and we want something. God requires something, honesty, vulnerability, confession, and we want something, the truth. We want, she, she by, by making that statement in verse 20, she was really asking Jesus, where? Where are we supposed to worship? What's the answer to this issue that has separated our people? And he gave her the answer. He gave her the truth. He gave her the truth. But see, in this moment, John chapter 4, whew, John chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, when she didn't give the water to Jesus, which he wasn't really asking for, he asks her for something else. He says, go call thy husband and come hither. And she takes the bait and she says, I don't have a husband. I don't have just one husband. She confesses. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast said well, I have no husband. And then watch this. Jesus confesses. He reads her mail and he says, oh, I know. <laughs> Verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands and he whom thou hast now is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. In that by, by confessing this, you have told the truth. So I've given you truth. I've asked you for the truth. I'm going to give you more truth. There's this, there's this, this truth exchange occurring. And, and, and if you're, if you're tracking the conversation, what happens next again is, is a conversation about that, that conversation we had earlier about worship. How do we get to the place of worship? If we want to call it a place, a destination, the way we get there is by truth honesty, vulnerability, confession, not holding anything back, especially when you're in the presence of almighty God. I've got nothing to hide, God. I've got nothing in reserve. God, you've given me so much just in, just in having a conversation with her. Understand this lady's context, just in having a conversation with her, he had given her so much in the way of attention, because the very reason she was there by herself was because of the, the shame that she felt because everybody knew the issue. But see, the difference is this. When you, when you find yourself at an altar, when you find yourself in the presence of Almighty God and you begin to unveil your truth, and I'm not talking about it in some postmodern mumbo jumbo, but when you begin to unveil the truth of who you are to God, begin to unveil the hurts and the pains and the, and the, and the, 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 the issues of your life. When you begin to do that, amen, he doesn't do like what everybody else does or what like some people do. He says, like he told this woman, 
I know. And I still want to talk to you. I still want to be close to you. I still want to share this drink with you. That's the difference. And so when we, when we find ourselves and, and, and we're preparing, preparing our hearts for worship, ask yourself, am I being honest with God in this moment? Am I being honest with God in this moment? And really, am I being honest with myself, right? Stop lying to yourself and then you'll stop lying to God. Understand that there can be a truth exchange when we begin and, 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 and prostrate ourselves to be in the position of worship. This conversation after this, this truth exchange, this conversation shifts and they begin talking about worship, as I said earlier. So here are a couple things uh, that I felt the Lord inspired here regarding worship. Uh, number one, True worship requires integration. And this is the process by where you combine one thing with something else to make a whole. You become integrated. And on an individual basis, we integrate with Christ in this moment of, of worship. That's, that's, you know, that's, the Bible says work out your, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can I say this? Work out your own worship. Work out your own praise with fear and trembling, right? Be willing to, on an individual basis, be honest and say, God, I'm dealing with some stuff that I don't really know where to place it, but I'm just going to lay it out. I'm just going to lay it down right here at the altar. I'm going to lay it down here for you to deal with. And he's going to say to you, I know. <laughs> I know. So that moment is more for you than anything. Just to be honest, man. So on an individual basis, we integrate with Christ. But then on a corporate basis, we integrate with each other and the church at large. Some synonyms for integration. Combination, unification, blending, assimilation. All these words that really bring home the same messages. You know, being one with Christ. And, and what happens... Um, you know, with, with this, this, this thing about integration and, and, and truth, you know, this idea is really countercultural for Americans because we're all about us. Most other uh, uh, countries, whether third world or otherwise, you know, there's more of a communal, uh, hmm, there's more of a communal perspective, more of a communal attitude, right? People just show up at your door, you know, with bread and, and, and lamb. I don't know. I, I looked at you. That's why I thought about lamb. And I love lamb. But people just show up with stuff, right? Just to spend the day with you. There's more of that, that community. But for us, you know, we're like, hey, hey, close the door, lock it up. You know, I got my, uh, my Netflix and chill. It's on, you know, I'm going to do my thing. It's just me and mine. Right. So this idea, it, it, this idea about community, in fact, is, is just sprinkled all over the Bible. I mean, not, not you know, not, sprinkled is actually not a good word. It's flooded. <laughs> this is what Jesus Christ is talking about from Genesis all the way to Revelation is about community, community with uh, with each other and then community with him. Amen. And so. But this idea is countercultural. But from a from a secular psychological perspective, those people who 
do well in life are typically better integrated in their respective communities. If you wanna, if you wanna find somebody who's, who's struggling just to get by, whether, and I'm not, I'm not talking about financially, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about emotionally, I'm talking about uh, when people ha- present with trust issues. Now, now I, I studied uh, for a while um, marriage and family therapy and how, you know, these, uh, these therapists have, uh, uh, they do anyway, have more of a systemic, holistic perspective, which is why I want to study it, because I am one that believes that an individual is not that way just because of them. But there have been some factors in their life that have caused them to be who they are, past, present, and future. So, So as a marriage and family therapist, my mind goes to the system as a whole. We started the foundation, but then we also check out the walls, the roof, the windows, right? We look at everything in the house, not just the individual sitting on the couch. But what we find is the people who are better integrated, let's start on a, on a, on a small level, with their families, husband, wife, children, people who are better integrated in their homes, their homes are healthier. And then you take that same perspective and you say, okay, are these individuals better integrated in their community? Then the communities are better off. And then you take that and you say, okay, is this community integrated into the society as a whole, right? Now, this is ideal, the ideal stream of things, the ideal flow of things. Again, I'm not naive to think that, that Individuals have issues, families have issues, communities have issues, obviously societies have issues. Hello, America. But this is the ideal stream and flow of things. And so if we could get to a point in worship, and I'm talking about true worshipers, if we could get to a point where we can be integrated with God, integrated with each other, man, we'll be so much better off. Understand that we are here today. All of us are in this building today. You know, you know, we're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to do those things. But God needs you to worship and you to praise as well and not be that that old like that old adage, you know, the bump on the log. Right. Or a couch potato. Get in. Get involved. Let the let the spirit of the Lord move you to worship and to praise. I've said this before that. You know, how you worship and how you praise really is a reflection of how much you love God. I mean, I'm just, and I know we've got different personalities, but let me tell you something. In the presence of God, personality means squat because we've, can I say that across the, I just said it. Because we, we, when we come together in the house of God and we're all of the one mind and of one accord, man, powerful things can happen. But if we've got just one person. That's good. When is this over? <laughs> Where am I going to eat today? If we've just got one person with that mind, the spirit, I, I, I believe this, the spirit of God shows up and, and he sees, he's seeking. He, he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe that God is more attracted to the person who has traditionally done this that when they start to do this, right. that gets his attention. Yeah. Yeah. I really and truly believe that. Why? Because that's what he's looking for. Right. Yeah. 
He's looking for that person that has said, you know what? I've been lied to. I've lied to myself, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift now and become integrated into what God wants me to be. And I'm going to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. And that God's radar just goes. That's what he's looking for. So the more of us that do that, the more of us that become integrated in that, Man, I tell you what, these walls won't be able to contain the power and the magnitude of what God can do in a life in this, this church. Hmm. John 4, 24, talking about integration. God is a spirit and they that worship must worship him in spirit and truth. They, it's plural. He didn't say God's spirit and, and he or she, you, they. He's looking for a they. Can I say that? He's looking for they that worship him in spirit and truth. He wants all of us to be involved in this process of, 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 of exchanging truth. Hmm. Our vulnerabilities, our issues, the things that trouble us sharing those things so that we can be liberated and really truly worship him. Integration begins with a conversation where two or more who are at odds intentionally decide to have a conversation about their differences. Isn't that what happened at the well? Jesus was a Jew. The woman was a Samaritan. Two people at odds, two people with different perspectives. But see, Jesus Christ's perspective was a little bit elevated, a, a whole lot of bit of it ele elevated. <laughs> okay, because he acknowledged, he said, yeah, that's what the Jews say, but I'm telling you something different. I'm telling you that the hour has come and now is that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So let's, let's elevate our understanding. Bring both people groups together. Forget about Jerusalem. Forget about this mountain. Let's, let's come together. Let's integrate. Let's come uh, and, and unify, blend and assimilate together to worship the one. And here's the truth. We are flawed and God is perfect. We are worshipers or should be worshipers and God is to be worshiped. There's this conversation that needs to happen. We're at odds with God. Our, our, we're not worthy of his presence. And yet still he says, I know. Amen. Yes, this I know. You're not telling me anything I don't know, but I'm glad you told me. How do you feel? You liberate it? Do you feel better? Now that it's out in the open? Good. Let's join hands. Hmm. The second thing, praise and worship moves us closer to God. I've said this before too, the object of worship is more important than the act of worship. Exodus chapter 20, verses three through six says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the, on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
I love, and I, and I, and I, uh, I didn't do that intentionally, but as I love how between verse five and six, there is sort of this implied insertion of grace because you can read verse five and say, yeah, man, God's going to deal with them. He's going to take them out. But then there's this little note, but I show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pastor on Wednesday talked about really the root of idolatry. And it's really, it's really uh, idolatry is a spiritual adultery. When we take our attention and our focus away from God, and we, 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 we uh, create these idols, whether they be a cell phone, uh, or whether it be a sports team, or whether it be uh, you know your favorite movie, or whatever the case might be, when you create these idols, maybe it's yourself, hmm. when you create these idols, you commit adult, uh, adultery against God. But he says he's going to show steadfast love to thousands. I loved how he put that number on there. To thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Who and what we worship determines the value of our worship. If we're worshiping just ten, uh, um, trivial things, then your worship is not very valuable. But if you're worshiping and bringing that sacrifice of praise to the one who really matters, to the one true God, then you, the value is, is, is elevated. The third thing I want to point out here is that true worshipers worship in truth. And I've got to hurry. True worshipers worship in truth. And I said this before, nothing hidden, nothing reserved, nothing in secret, nothing, nothing. I mean, you're just wide open. God, here I am. Flaws and all. Here I am. Psalms 9, 1 through 2. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my half heart. I will praise thee, O Lord, with just a quarter of my heart. The other three quarters are, are reserved for something else. You worship what you know not. But he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. All of it, God. All of it. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. How is he going to do that? Through his praise. Through his worship. Verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. You see, in worship, your mindset and your heart set matters. Your mindset and your heart set matters. What do you say in Proverbs? Uh, what you set your heart or Whatever you set your affections on, there your heart will be also. I may have that misquoted. Some of y'all Bible scholars can probably correct me later. But you understand what I'm saying. What you set your affections on right. is where your heart lies. Right. So get your heart, set your affections on things above. Set your affections on the one who is worthy of your worship. And then your heart will be in line with where God wants it to be. Psalms 138.2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Not only do, not only do true worshipers worship in truth, but they worship the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. John 14, 5 through 7. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? 
This is after Jesus is saying, you know the way. <laughs> you spent, you've spent day, countless days with me. You know the way. And then Thomas, I love his honesty, says, God, I, I, I don't know the way. I, I don't know what you're talking about. How, how can we go where you go if we don't know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, or cometh unto the Father, but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. I am the way. So when we're worshiping in truth, we're worshiping the truth. And again, I don't mean that in some postmodern uh, mumbo jumbo about, you know, all of these people who have truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, I'm saying what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the truth. So when you worship in truth, you're worshiping the truth. You're worshiping him who is the truth manifested. Worshiping the truth manifested. You see, in the tabernacle setup, there was only one entrance. There's no back door. No side entrance. There was no, no, no split in the little, uh, the little cloth that they use for a fence where you can just kind of climb in and sneak in. I don't know. If you're going to go the way, you're going to go through. And this, this way, this entering the gate, and the first stop is the place of sacrifice, which brings me to this point. Praise is a noun. It's something offered. Praise and worship is something offered. It's a, it's a sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What's the sacrifice of praise? It's the fruit of your lips. So if you... If you sit in church or you sit at home or you sit in your car when there's an opportunity for you to shout hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, I love you, and you do this, where's your fruit, saying to God? You don't have any. He says the fruit of your lips is the sacrifice of praise. Man, I could, man, mm. Hebrews 13, 11 through 15. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through, through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. That's the ESV version. Please do me a favor. Take Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, and go and read Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18. Go read those, those two together. And, and, and really, what you find, I'm just going to read verse 18. Actually, can you put it up? Hebrews 10, 18. Mm. You know, some, sometimes uh, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And there's debates to say who's the author. I think it was Yoda, personally. 
because sometimes when he talks, you have to uh, slow down. <laughs> uh, his uh, syntax is kind of kind of strange. Hebrews ten eighteen. Now, where remission of these is, can you go back a verse? One more. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Next verse. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Next verse. Now where remission of these is, those sins, there is no more offering for sin. Can I say it like this? Where remission of sin is, there is no more sin offering. So, then, what are we to bring? <laughs> we got to bring something. <laughs> right? David said, I, this land's got to cost me something. If, if, God's pres ooh, if God's presence is going to be here, it's got to cost me something. So then, what are we to bring? We're not bringing bullocks, lambs, and, and, and goats, and, and, and these things. If we're not bringing these things... As a sacrifice, what are we to bring? Hebrews 13, 15. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Amen. That's what we are to bring. Amen. So I don't want to, I don't, I haven't, I have yet to see anybody come in here with a, a, a ram across their shoulders. Thank you, Lord. Unless you plan on cooking it, and giving yours truly some, we don't want it in here. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to bring a sacrifice of praise, which will be then the fruit of our lips. I, 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 come on, somebody ought to just worship him right now. Just say, thank you, Jesus. God, I, Lord, I'm thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for this truth, God. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want, I want my praise. I want my worship, God. Let, that, let this be the fruit of my lips, God. Let this be the sacrifice that I bring. Let this vulnerability, God, be the thing that I bring. Let this confession be the thing that I bring to the altar, God, so that there can be a truth exchange and I can worship you without any reservations, God. I can worship you without any heart, without any, without any hurt, God. I can just give you my all, as David said, with my whole heart. Jesus. I want to praise you. Jesus. I want to worship you. Worship. I'll close with this. Not only is praise a noun, but praise is also a verb. It's something we do. It's something performed. And I'm careful when I use that word. And I'm not, because I'm not talking about some planned performance. But I'm talking about just, man, you just get, mm, you get it on you. <laughs> and you can't contain yourself. Now, I know, I know we like to show up in church and just be dignified. Can I tell you, dignity goes out the window when you step across a, into that place of, uh, uh, of sacrifice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amen, amen. Oh, my God. You know, I, I just imagine the people uh, coming to bring their their uh, sacrifices, their sin offerings and stuff uh, before the priests and some have got, you know, kid goats and stuff and then others are pulling in this big old ram 
And the one with the small lamb looks at the one with the big ram and goes, man, how many sins did you commit? <laughs> Can I say, let me give you a different perspective. Can I say, when I see somebody just get loose and buck wild in God, I don't say, man, how many sins did you commit? I say, man, look at how much liberty God has given that person. Look at how much freedom God has given that person. On the converse, if I see this, I pray harder for that person because what I see is still bondage. Where God has said liberty, worship and liberty I still see you haven't you haven't it hasn't sunk in yet you haven't truly began to believe the liberty that God can give you if your legs can do this and your legs can move around a little bit where is your liberty with a D where is your praise and your worship where is your thankfulness hmm Let's all stand. First Timothy 2 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, Amen. lifting up holy hands with wrath, without wrath and doubting. John 23 through 24. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In legal terms, when you look at a contract, that word must, shall, has to be done. There is no other option. So if you're not worshiping, in spirit and in truth, in truth, in truth. Again, I've got nothing to hide, God. Amen. I've given you everything that ails me. I'm worshiping you with the liberty that truth affords. When you do that, when you do that, you're abiding by the word of God. You worship in truth and you worship the truth. Can we lift up some worship here right now? God, I love you. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit EphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 